Good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. I was kind of weak. <clears throat> it's six o'clock, right? It's, it's early. Well, here's a question for you. Um, I want to start by asking you something. Uh, who loves uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Oh, wow. Right back there. Yes! yes! I have one more. Anyone? All right, right there. Uh, Reese, no, 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 don't take that one, don't take that one. No, 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 no. I like Reese's. Well, you'll have to wait. Uh, I mean, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, right? It's like one of the best candy options ever made. I mean, it's perfect in every way. But do you remember the first time you saw a Reese's Peanut Butter Egg? And you probably thought, that's strange, that's weird. How could they make something perfect any better? But they did, because there's more Reese's peanut butter in a Reese's peanut butter egg than there is in a cup, and that's what makes them amazing. And I see you nodding your head. All right. Now, um, let me tell you why I said that, because hopefully today's sermon is going to be like that. And here's why, because uh, you know what the story is today, right? Uh, You already know what we're going to talk about. It's Easter. There's only one story we read and we look at every single year at Easter, but I'm going to take a chance and we're going to read a totally different story today. And hopefully you'll see that there's a whole lot more Easter in this story than you think. It comes from about 600 BC, so 600 years before Jesus even lived, and it comes from the ancient kingdom of Babylon. And here's how the story starts. It says, Yahweh took hold of me, and I was carried away by Yahweh's wind or breath or spirit to a valley filled with bones. Now, this is a story from a man named Ezekiel. You might um, have heard of him. He's one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He was about 35 or 40 years old when this story takes place. He's not an old guy. He's kind of a young guy. And on this day, he says that Yahweh... That's the name you might remember that that Jews called. That was a personal name they called God. He says, Yahweh's, and the Hebrew word used here is ruach. And it's it's a really important word. And actually, you have to say like ruach, right? All right, so let's say it all together. And you have to say it that way. Ruach. All right, very good. So ruach means uh, breath or wind or spirits. It's an ancient Hebrew idea of, of the an, an animating force of life. So in nature, it's the animating force of wind, um, or it's the animating force in our bodies or of life, that breath or that spirit that is deep inside all of us. And so he says that one day, Yahweh's, God's breath or wind or spirit carried him away. Now, this is probably not literal, it's, it's not a story meant to be taken literally. He's speaking figuratively because Ezekiel would often have these ecstatic experiences. And they were, they were usually visions that God gave him that he was then supposed to pass along as a prophet to the general people of Israel. So this is his way of saying, one day God carried me away in my heart or in my soul or in my mind or in my imagination. And I found myself in this huge valley full of bones. He continues and he says this, he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor and they were scattered everywhere across the ground and they were completely dried out. 
So he's in this valley and he's walking around and all he sees are bones. And in the Hebrew, it's very clear. It says they're, they're very dry bones. They're extremely dry. They're completely dried out bones. And later it'll become clear. These aren't just any bones, these aren't animal bones, these aren't like the bones of a deer or an elk that you might, a bone you might find in the woods or in the forest somewhere in the mountains. These are the bodies of skeletons. These are human bones. Now that probably wouldn't have freaked Ezekiel out too much because seeing dried out human bones was a part of the culture and a part of the life in the ancient Near East. You see, anytime uh, somebody died, a, a relative died in your extended family, um, they would be buried. If they were poor, if the family was poor, they would dig a grave and they would bury them in the grave. But if the family had any kind of means or wealth at all, they probably had a family tomb. And these were uh, tombs cut out of rock in the side of a hill or a mountain. Oftentimes they were carved out of rock like a small cave. Um, and in that tomb, and in fact, there's been a bunch of tombs that have been found in the ancient Near East. Here's a couple of pictures. These are from archaeologists when they first discovered them in the 1920s outside of Jerusalem from this same time period. And inside these tombs, there would be uh, one or two or a few shelves or benches and they would lay uh, their dead ancestor's body down on that bench. And then they would go out of the tomb and they would roll a large rock or stone in front of the tomb. And they would do that for a couple of reasons. One, to keep the animals out. But secondly, because things would get pretty bad in there. You wouldn't want to see or smell what was going on. Because within a day or two, bacteria and chemical processes would begin to work its way on the flesh. Within a week, few weeks, long-term decay would set in. And in the dry climate of Palestine, within six to 12 months, all that would be left would be dry and dusty bones. And that's when the family would actually go back to the tomb. And they would roll the stone away and they would go inside of the tomb and they would collect the bones of their ancestors and they would put them in a box. And these boxes are called ossuaries. And archaeologists have discovered many of these boxes. They've discovered boxes that, that contained the bones of hundreds of people in these family tombs because they would make space. Again, this was an extended family. They would make space so that when the next ancestor or relative passed away, there was room on the shelves or the benches to lay their bodies. So this was a common experience in the ancient Near East. And so Ezekiel is standing in this valley and what he sees are hundreds and hundreds of skeletons of dry and dusty bones. And God later tells him what these bones represent. It says, then he said to me, son of man, which just means young man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They're saying we've become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. So the bones represent the people of Israel. And the nation of Israel, which was often called Judah at this time, you'll see that sometimes in the Old Testament, it had been in decline for about 100 years. All throughout the 7th century, it was in decline, serious decline. So think uh, Venezuela or Syria today. Government leaders had become extremely corrupt. The economy had imploded. Crime was on the rise. Uh, lawlessness was on the rise. Poverty was on the rise. But also the Babylonians 
couple hundred miles to the north, were on the rise. And in 597 BC, when Ezekiel was about 25 years old, the Babylonians swept into Israel. They laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. They plundered the city. They took the king captive, and they also took the leading priests and their families captive back to Babylon, and Ezekiel was a priest. So he was taken as a prisoner, along with any family members he had, back to Babylon. But things got worse. Eleven years later, the small nation and the people of Judah rebelled against Babylon again, and this time the army went back and they finished the job. In 586 BC, and this is not just a Bible story. This is found in all the archaeological records. This is found in the Babylonian histories. The Babylonian army swept in and they destroyed the entire city. They destroyed the great temple that had been there for hundreds of years. They killed many of the people. They destroyed all of the homes. They took a few more leaders back to the nation of Babylon and they slaughtered the rest. This nation of Judah or Israel that had existed for hundreds and hundreds of years, this nation that its proud people believed was the one hope of God, of Yahweh in the world, was now gone. And for the small group of Jewish refugees who were still living in Babylon, the news of Jerusalem's destruction sunk them into a deep despair because their homes were gone. I mean, they thought they were going to maybe go back home someday soon, but their homes are now gone. Their city is gone. Their nation is gone. Their future is entirely gone. And that's essentially what despair is when you think about it. Despair is just meaning you don't really have any hope. You don't have any future. You don't think anymore that tomorrow is going to be any better than today. And it's almost as if For these Jewish refugees living in Babylon, their lives were gone. The breath or the spirit had been sucked out of them, and now the only description that could be given of them is they were like a valley full of dry bones. Now let me pause for a second and just ask you a personal question. Uh, Is there any place of despair or hopelessness in your life right now? Maybe not on the extreme levels that these refugees were going through at this time, but maybe your job is really hard. It's really old, it's really boring, and it doesn't seem like anything's ever gonna change. And it just feels kind of hopeless. Or maybe going to school right now, whether you're in graduate school or college or high school or middle school, maybe it's getting really old and really tiring and it's just like, is this ever gonna get any better? No, it's not. (laughs) Right? You feel that. It just feels like a place of despair. Or maybe you're lonely. Maybe you haven't found that one person that you thought you would find by now. Maybe you haven't found that community of people that you've been longing To find it It just doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. Maybe parenting feels hopeless right now. It's really hard and really tiring, and is it ever going to get any better, right? Maybe your financial situation feels that way. Maybe it's 
it's an issue with a relationship. Maybe it's somebody close to you. Maybe your marriage is feeling that way. I was talking with someone the other day whose marriage is sort of crumbling. And they looked at me in the eyes and they said, Norton, I'm gonna be totally honest with you. I just don't have any hope anymore. None of us are immune to that kind of despair or that kind of hopelessness. And we don't want to admit it to others and it's easy when we come to church to sort of put a nice face on. And sometimes we don't even want to admit it to ourselves. But we all have dry bones in our lives. And so Ezekiel's looking at all these bones and then God asks him a question. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Yahweh, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. So, so God says, can these bones become living people again? And Ezekiel has to be thinking, no, of course not. That's crazy. That's like asking, can cows fly, right? I mean, it's just, that's an absurd Question, bones don't come back to life. There's never been an Israelite who has gone and opened their ancestor's tomb and there's been a living person inside of there. Like, it just doesn't happen. That's a really dumb question, God. Now, he doesn't say that out loud, right? He's smarter than that. And so he says back to God, well, I, only you know the answer to that question. And so look at God, what God says next. Then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of Yahweh. This is what sovereign Yahweh says. Look, I am going to put breath or wind or spirit, that's that word ruach, into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and I'll cover you with skin. I will put breath or wind or spirit into you and you will Come to life. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. So basically, Ezekiel, uh, start talking to these dead bones and telling them that there is hope and that I can put life and I can put breath and I can put spirit back into them. And Ezekiel tells us in the next verse, so I spoke this message just as he told me. And this is huge. Because sometimes I think we have to do the same thing in our own lives. I think we have to speak words of hope into a situation where we maybe don't feel any hope. Because not feeling any hope doesn't mean there isn't hope. Not feeling like there's a way forward doesn't mean there isn't a way forward. Not feeling like tomorrow's gonna be better than today doesn't mean that tomorrow won't be better than today. And so it's human and it's normal to have feelings of hopelessness and feelings of despair. And we should be honest about those and we should give voice to them. We need to even acknowledge them to God. God, I feel hopeless right now. I've done everything I can and nothing seems to be getting better. And I don't know what to do next in this job or this relationship or this situation or this circumstance. It just feels so dry and hopeless. And it's good and it's right to acknowledge that and be honest about that. But maybe alongside our admission of that, we can also speak words of hope. 
We can say to ourselves, or we can say to our hearts, or we can even say to whatever despair or hopelessness or dry bones we feel like we're carrying in our lives. What if we could say, I don't see a way forward, but that doesn't mean there isn't a way forward. I don't see how this could change. I don't see how any kind of life could be breathed back into this. I don't see how God could do anything to make anything different. But I'm going to speak words of hope. Even if I don't fully believe those words, because I'm not sure Ezekiel believed any of these words. When God said, start talking to these dead bones, I think Ezekiel's like, all right, I'll do whatever you say, God, but I don't think this is going to do any good. But that's what he did. And look at what happened next. And some of you know this story from Sunday school, right? Suddenly, as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. And the bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscles and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bodies. But they still had no breath or wind or spirit in them. And so then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the breath or the wind or the spirit, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what sovereign Yahweh says. Come, O breath or wind or spirit. Come from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. So I spoke the message as he commanded and breath or wind or spirit came into their bodies and they all came to life and they stood up on their feet a great army. So the dry bones start coming to life and it happens in several different stages, right? First they come together with muscle and, and flesh and skin, but there's no spirit. He says there's still no life. There's nothing animating within them. There's, there's, there's no breath in them. So Ezekiel is told, speak again, but this time speak to the wind or speak to the breath or speak to the spirit. You've spoken to the bones, now speak to the spirit. And remember, spirit is, is wind or breath. And it's not, it's not an inanimate force. It's not a, a law of nature. It's not like gravity, something that just happens. And it's not the force like in Star Wars, right? It's not something you talk about. God says it's something you can talk to. It's someone you can speak It's that divine part of God that gives life and breath to all things. That's what we would call the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, speak to the Spirit. Ask the Spirit to come and breathe new life back into these bones. And Ezekiel does. And life begins to enter the bodies. Now, before we finish the story, I want you to notice what Ezekiel actually does here. Because he actually only does two things in this entire story, in this entire passage. There's only two verbs that he actively engages in himself. First, he speaks. Remember, he speaks to God. God asks him a question, he replies. And then God tells him, speak to the bones. And then God says, speak to the spirit. And so he's just speaking this message that he's told to speak. He might not even believe the message. He just speaks it. So he speaks, but then he watches. He speaks the message, and then he watches what the Spirit does. 
And that's important. But Ezekiel is not the one who breathes new life back into the bones. Ezekiel can't do that. Remember, the bones actually represent this nation of Israel. Ezekiel can't fix their problems. Ezekiel doesn't have a solution to their despair, to their future. He can't fix any of that. In fact, the people can't fix their own problems either. If the people could fix their own problems, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in. They wouldn't feel like there's no nation or there's no home or there's no future or there's no hope. There's no hope because they can't do anything about it. And what if we need to sometimes come to that same place of despair in our own lives to acknowledge, I can't fix this. I can't do anything about this. I don't have the resources. I don't have the solution here. My only hope is for God to do something about this. My only hope is for him to breathe new life into this because I can't do that myself. Now, that doesn't mean when God breathes new life into our lives and begins to create a new future, that doesn't mean God doesn't sometimes ask us to do things, right? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he says, as I'm breathing new life into you, you're going to have to step out in faith. You're going to have to do some things. You're going to have to break off that really toxic relationship. You might have to leave that job. You might have to take that job. You might have to go to a counselor, because they have the answers that you don't. You, you might need to humble yourself in some ways that you've never humbled yourself before. But the focus of this story is not on what Ezekiel can do for the people. It's not on what the people can do for the people. The people are just a bunch of dry and dusty bones. There is no life in them to do anything. So God just says to Ezekiel, speak to the bones and speak to the spirit. And I know that doesn't make sense, but just do it. And Ezekiel does it. And then he just stands back and watches what God does. So maybe God is saying to you today, you need to speak words of hope to yourself or maybe there's somebody else that God has put in your life that you need to speak words of hope to. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you're someone here today and you're one of those people like me who can be very proud and very stubborn and always thinks they can fix themselves and doesn't ever want to admit that there's places or there's things or there's circumstances in their lives that we can't fix ourselves. And maybe God is saying to you, you need to come to that place where you realize only God can fix this. Only God can breathe life back into this. All you can do is wait and call out to him and then watch what he does. So Ezekiel speaks, he watches, and God does something amazing, and then God explains to him what it all meant. This is how it ends. He says, then God said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. That's the part we read before. Therefore, prophesy to them. This is what this all means. I want you to go to them and say, this is what sovereign Yahweh says. Oh, my people, I will open your graves of exile and I will cause you to rise again. And then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, oh, my people, you will know that I am Yahweh. 
I will put my spirit or my breath or my wind in you and you will live again and return home to your own land. So God says, I'm gonna come, I'm gonna dig up the grave or I'm gonna come and I'm gonna open up your tomb. Just like you would go and roll the stone away to your ancestor's tomb and you would collect the bones of your dead ancestors, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna roll the stone away. I'm gonna open up the tomb and I'm gonna cause you to rise up and live again. And the promise here is that the nation isn't actually dead. The people aren't actually dead. There is a future and God's gonna redeem it and he's gonna bring, breathe new life back into them and he's actually gonna cause their nation to flourish again and he's gonna bring them back home to the land that they long for. And there's an echo here of a story in the past. The echo is of a story a long time ago when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. Day after day, year after year, they were hopeless. There was no future. But God saw them and he heard their cries and he breathed new life into them and he rescued them from slavery and he brought them home to the promised land. And the vision says that God is gonna do that again for these people. But the vision looks forward too, right? It tells us the story of Jesus. Because on a Sunday morning, when women went to the tomb and they expected to find a dead body, a stone was already rolled away. And God had done something amazing and unexpected that nobody could have predicted and nobody could have ever imagined. And the spirit had breathed life back into Jesus's body and it caused him to rise again. But it wasn't just for Jesus's sake and it wasn't just for those women's sake and it wasn't just for the sake of that small group or that small band of Jesus's first followers. It was for all of our sakes. It was so that we could know there's always hope and there's always the possibility of new life and there's always a possibility of a new way forward. It was so that people could know if we trust in him and if we believe in him and if we follow him, there's always hope. And then we'll go through difficult times in life and we'll have those situations and we'll have those dry bones and we have to be honest about those and we can't avoid those. It doesn't mean life is perfect from now on. It means we'll still have those difficult places. But in the midst of those difficult places, there's a message for us to hear. And the message of Ezekiel and the message of Easter morning and the message that we all need to hear today is simple. There's always hope. There is always hope because the tomb was empty because the spirit breathed new life. Tomorrow can be different. God can open your grave or open your tomb and the spirit can raise you up and breathe new life and you can come back to life. And it might not happen in the way you expect, right? The way Jesus rose from the grave was in a way that nobody expected. 
but it can still happen. And the spirit is still moving and he's still working and he's still breathing new life back into dry and dusty bones. And so we're gonna sing a couple of more songs this morning, but I want us to just pause and reflect on that message for a moment. So would you just stand with me? Maybe close your eyes for a second. you maybe think about what it is in your life where you're feeling despair. It might be something really big. It might be something you've been carrying for a long time. It might feel like something small in comparison to what others have. But what is it? What's the place where you're feeling a bit hopeless? Where you're feeling like there's not a way forward? There's not a good future here. What if you took that and you just brought it to God this morning and you heard the message of hope and you believed that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to breathe new life into all of our dry and dusty bones. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe that today.